Ultra. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are breathing in Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Kester Dorowski. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And today we are discussing Minute 46, which begins with Ariel clasping at her throat as she stares at her voice. And it ends with Eric asking, where could she be to Max as the camera pans out from the castle? This minute features Ariel turning into a human. Sebastian and Flounder bringing Ariel up to the surface, and Eric daydreaming about the voice and the girl that rescued him. I mean, the girl rescued him. The voice did not rescue him <laughs> at all. No, but but thinking but about the, the voice, the, and then the girl the, that the rescued voice him. that belongs to the, the girl, girl yes, that rescued that. him. I think that's the only like reasonable construction for it. Yes. Listeners, we are re-recording another set of of episodes. Yep. In the course of three years, lost uh, a little bit of audio. So this week is going to be a re-recording with just uh, me and Kestra. and um, And then we'll be back on track. And pretty soon we're going to be into the the minutes that were originally recorded in 2020 yeah just a few few weeks a couple weeks yeah but this week is, is is a set of replacement minutes for um for for damaged audio so um we are revisiting some notes from yeah. three years ago and revisiting minutes that we discussed three years ago and and have hardly thought about since surely we haven't thought about <laughs> the contents of this movie since then but um we're sorry about, you know, the, the lack of continuity as yes. you go through stuff. But here we are. We're doing it, and we're going to get these minutes ready for you. Yes. So should we get into the minute? Yeah, let's do it. So this is minute 46, um, the end of Poor Unfortunate Souls. We get, like, three color changes in this minute, which is continuing on from from the Poor Unfortunate Souls stuff, right? Like, we've cycled through a lot of... I don't know if it's, like, accent colors or, like, feature colors or whatever, but, like, color themes have gone on a bunch. Like, we've had definitive, like, pink stuff. We've had um, some purple stuff. We've had... Some... We had blue. Yeah, there's blue. So those are the ones that, like, the most recent cycle through is it, it goes, like, deep blue during the spell and then green while Ursula's, like, casting the magic with the spectral hands and everything. And then it turns gold for the transformation. Yes. And then, um, and then it's essentially silhouette up at the the top. Yeah, right? so it's so mostly dark black. But or they go through these colors blue. really intensely. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about a lot of different colors um, throughout the entire, like color tone throughout the entire film. Like yeah. under the sea had dark red, and like uh, but like a tone. bright red, and then and then King Triton, King Triton had like angry. a fiery was, red. Yeah, there was there like was it, intense um, angry red. And then things turn blue. And, and it, at, the, at the beginning of the film, we had darker muted colors, like and then and then it was brightened up. Like they use the colors very cautiously, I think, throughout this film to make sure that it, it sets the tone of the moment that's happening. Yeah, and it it seems almost weird that um, during Poor Unfortunate Souls and here at the end of Poor Unfortunate Souls, they're like, okay, and like, okay, blue, now green, now yellow, for like for like 15 second chunks. It's like, okay, now it's going to be really intensely this going to, why does it need to go through so many massive color shifts? Because that's, that's a big pain for animators, right? Like they have to, is, okay, most of the coloring on this was done with the digital 
effect. So it's probably easier, actually, mm. than it would have been in previous films, right? Yeah. With the introduction of the digital systems and the the digital coloring and all that sort of stuff. It was actually probably easier. And so they probably said, like, oh, it's not hard. Like, we don't have to do that much extra work to recolor these. Yes. Um, we can just, like, transfer the color setting to... Okay, well, now it's with the golden light, and now it's with the greenish light, and now it's with the bluish light. Yes. And all those things. So it was maybe actually a lot easier, and maybe that's why they're doing it. Because I can't imagine they would want to do a lot of different skin tones for Ursula if they had to be doing that by hand. No, but... Yeah, I mean, you're right. It, they, they, it was probably a lot easier. And, and Ursula's skin tone is the thing that I, like, notice the most with it, because it's so, like, gray, it's almost white, and so when the colors are shifting... Ursula is changing but, colors. Uh, yeah, her skin tone is white or, or gray, like you said. But also in, in merchandise, sometimes there's like a hint of purple to it. Yeah. And I think the purple really, really is represented through her tentacles more. Like the more underside, so. the yeah. suction cup side. But, but, it, but sometimes her skin tone is a little more purple. Yeah. It has more purple hue to it. Yeah, but I mean like throughout... These color changes in poor unfortunate souls, like that's reflecting a lot. On, she she looks on her green. Gray she skin. looks yeah gold. Yeah, like she she shifts into that color with like a, a gray accent because yeah. that's one of the ways that um they often do you know color indications like in comic books right. There's a lot of black with blue accents or black with red accents and right and the accent color is is a really significant yeah um, element and so it seems like they're doing pretty consistent gray accent on. Um, like her shoulders and her arms, but then her mm-hmm. main face and chest area is really taking on the color. Yeah, um, that's being projected out of the cauldron. I, I, yeah, I think you're you're right. And when we have the these specific moments, we have the the colors surrounding her. But it's kind of interesting because not only are they deep un- underwater, mm-hmm. um, they're also inside. her her layer inside her cave and so it's a lot darker in there to, and then to have these bright flashes of light coming from well essentially magic but yeah yeah it's coming from the cauldron i'd say that's what like the lighting source in this case is but it um, makes it more it makes it more fun it makes poor unfortunate souls a lot more more fun i think yeah i i think it's it's um a really good choice um, and then, and then, like we said, it switches to almost silhouette for Ariel. Yeah. Um, so they don't have to deal with any nudity. Um, <laughs> well, when when it's gold, and they focus on her legs and her and her her, her fin, t- her, her tail, tail splitting, splitting. There, I I noticed it, and I didn't have it written down for our notes from three years ago. Uh, so I'm I I noticed it today as we were watching it. Her as her tail s- splits into two, and then when her her two. S- her Fins, flippers. flippers turn into feet. There's a lot of Mickey Mousing in the music. It's really subtle, oh. but there is a lot of like, like I, I don't know how to. It's like, like, like the music cue is matching up with it. It, it does, and it makes it it makes it makes the sound that you think would happen as the as a tail would split it, it, somehow or, it's the or musical, turn into feet. Somehow it's the musical equivalent of something being like pulled apart like a ziploc bag being pulled open or something like and that. And then as cuz her feet kick as mm-hmm. she as it happens and it and it like has like a specific like t- sound to it. Like, I can't like kick transform mm-hmm. kind of noise. Um and I I noticed that like each of so it like splits and then she like kicks each foot and yes. that's when they transform. Like so mm-hmm. so she for a minute has like one foot that is a foot and one foot yes. that is still flippery. Yes. Um, but yeah, so they have like this really 
coordinated mm-hmm. um, music with it, which they did a ton of throughout this yeah. throughout this movie, and we've talked about that, and and we'll continue to talk about it as we rise from Ursula's lair and Sebastian and Flounder somehow carry her. This doesn't make any sense for Sebastian. We talked about like <laughs> crabs swimming, and it's like it, he's definitely not going to be swimming with like force. I mean, tomorrow's minute they are exhausted. Yeah, They're... so. This is really Flounder, which we'll we'll see later on. Like Flounder, he has super strength. He's 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 good at pulling things in the water. He's doing his best. Yeah. So this is really Flounder saving her life. Sebastian he, is not doing enough. Yes, we see. So as they rise, we see Ursula's lair again. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks ago, with Andrew uh, Hawthorne, we saw we talked about um, about how her her lair looks like a lionfish. Yeah. In the commentary, they refer to it as a whale skeleton. It's definitely not. Whale <laughs> skeletons look super It's not. <laughs> but maybe that was like an idea that they had at some point. But yes. like it's coral in the shape of a lionfish. Yeah, it looks like a lionfish. I I would have posted a picture of lionfish with, with Ursula's yeah, you, lair you did. on Facebook um, when we talked about it. And yeah, they look exactly like... But this does not look like a whale skeleton. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're on it, I think this is a good time to, to go ahead and bring it up. Thanks to the Facebook group. So this is the like Facebook group. That's where it's happening. Um, we have a fantastic contributor there named Andrew Jefferson, who has been just doing a phenomenal job adding some insights. And he has a strong suggestion for where this could be taking place. I think it's the most strong suggestion we've got. I'm gonna take it. I think this is. I think this is where we say definitively, this is where Little Mermaid happens. Do you want to? Explain yeah, yeah. It? So he said it was the U.S. Virgin Islands, oh. um, for a number of reasons, and it works. It adds up pretty well with all the stuff that like we've been thinking about and talking about, like the things that are factors in it, and and so it seems to um, settle into things pretty well. So the U.S. Virgin Islands is located in the in the Caribbean, and so that can account for Sebastian's accent. Uh, it was a Danish territory um, in oh. the mid-1800s until the, until the early 1900s is when it became like the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. And so it was a Danish territory, and so if we are talking about this needs to be connected to Denmark in some way, then, then that is accounted for. Um, so like... Eric's family could have sent him to the Danish territory in the Caribbean to, you know, do stuff there when he's when he's in his late teens, getting ready to, to get married and everything. Um, it is located. Uh, this goes back to, I think, again, um, Andrew Hawthorne's uh, minutes. He talked about like volcanic events and everything. Yes. There is enough volcanic activity that um, there should be some events in the in the region around the U.S. Virgin Islands, not so much like directly there but like there's volcanic islands in the caribbean um i think i switched between caribbean and caribbean in this conversation (laughs) um close to the u.s and and like in a trading area with the u.s so it could be very reasonable for there to be um u.s paraphernalia like a bust of abraham lincoln shortly after um yeah that would make the civil war and everything um and since it's in like the more southern Atlantic, more likely to have things like hurricanes actually show up and be called hurricanes, which was another oh. big issue that we had. Um, so I'm feeling pretty solid about that. It's more temperate, so you're not dealing with, like, the frigid waters and all that sort of stuff. It, people can actually, like, get in there and swim. I don't know if it accounts for, like, all the different fish that we've seen. 
I mean, nothing but accounts for all the different fish we've seen, especially yeah, we've had, like an under the sea. We've had like too many different fish. Yes. Um, but but it, it seems like it's adding up pretty well. So and and like looking at imagery from the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, it seems like a reasonably suitable architectural lineup, like a decent enough architectural lineup that I'm like, OK, yeah, I could buy this. I can buy this. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. I think I think Andrew Jefferson cracked it wide open. Thank you, Andrew Jefferson. I, I think that probably helps or is really where it is settled. I do have a couple of notes about the... Oh, and I would say that probably can account for some pretty reasonable variations in fashion, right? If you have an international, um, you know, European, but close to America, Caribbean area, like you can have some real flexibility with what kind of fashion is going to be present there. It's a port. um, Well, I mean, it's an island with ports. And so you're going to have a lot of trade, a lot of commerce, a lot of interaction multiculturally. And so you're going to get, you know... All kinds of different stuff mm-hmm. going on there. So I think it it feels pretty satisfactory um, for a lot of the factors. I, I I agree. I do have a couple of notes about the palace that that um, that we see uh, today. We do see that in this. And... Do, do we need to cover anything about um, Ariel getting up to the surface? I, actually, I do have I have some notes. Well, I, I was going to say uh, we can move on to your stuff before I say the palace, but okay. my palace stuff. Um, does incorporate some architecture from different places, so it doesn't really yeah. add up completely. But but that's how this film is yeah, right now. That's, that's what we're dealing with. You go um, ahead with what you were going to say. So I wanted to talk about like the depth that Ariel might be traveling up from, and yes. some of the complications with that. Um, pretty dangerous stuff. Ultimately, um, going from like severe depths in the ocean. To the surface, there's a number of different records that that would like come into mind with this. The scuba record is um, a little over a thousand feet down, and so this is more than a thousand feet down. I I think it it must not be <laughs> like it couldn't possibly. It be. looks a thousand like... feet is a lot of feet, and Ye- I don't know I don't know like what areas in the ocean have a thousand feet of depth. I mean, when you're talking about the ocean, you know, like ten feet is a lot of feet. To go down in the ocean. And if we're talking about the Caribbean, I don't know what, like, the average depth is in the Caribbean. Um, But, so, like, with scuba, um, a thousand, something around a thousand feet is the record. And it took, um, it took hours to decompress. So the person who set the record, so with, like, scuba diving, you, you swim down. And you can, like, swim down pretty efficiently, more or less. And you're dealing with all the pressure, right? The, the pressurization in your blood and your lungs and all that sort of stuff. And if you ascend too quickly, the pressure release can can give you the bends. Like you can get sick. You can die from it, right? From from right. decompression. Um, this record, the person like swam down, and then they had to slowly, and they had to change out like oxygen tanks for this. They had to slowly ascend for fourteen hours. Fourteen hours, so they could safely decompress from that distance. So Ariel should be Ariel sick. shooting shooting up like. There's, she's probably almost certainly dead. Um, if we're dealing with free diving, which is when people swim significant depths without scuba gear and everything, I don't know that there's the same issue with decompression. There's a weird stuff that's going on with free diving. That's all I really know about it. I don't know a ton of stuff, but the record with that is is um, uh, around like I think it's around like 400 feet. My 
these are my notes from three years ago. I did not double check these records, so they could be more. But so the the records could be different from from what I'm saying. But that's you know a few hundred feet, so like 400 feet, and that's like a four minute process. And so if we're thinking that she's only like 400 feet down and she's ascending quickly, maybe that's less of a concern. Scuba, I don't like I'm I'm not scuba certified. I don't know all the details about scuba, but like. It's pretty dangerous and you have to ascend slowly. So we'll assume that she is just doing it on basic oxygen, which is really, really tough once you're, I mean, when you're in like the tens and twenties of feet down, you're dealing with like significant pressure, but the, like people can't train and handle it. Um, Yeah. And we assume that Ariel got like a full breath of air from the bubble. I know. I was just about to ask, do we assume that she was able to get some air before she lost her what probably was gills i think that's typically i think that's what we would assume is she gets a a full breath of air because otherwise there's no no way way. (laughs) no way at all um but yeah i like i don't know the exact depth it seems like she's probably swimming at least like 10 feet like like ursula's lair is probably at least 10 to 15 feet floor to ceiling she's kind of in the middle of it so she probably had to swim like five to ten feet to get out of the lair and then from the lair to the surface would be the distance that we're dealing with but looking down on it, it looks a lot farther away than I would say a thousand feet. So who knows exactly? A thousand how far feet it is. is a lot. I know, but it looks it looks really far away. Okay, so I did a little bit of research um, while we've been talking, and it looks like in the Caribbean area, you are going to have ocean depth be definitely hundreds and potentially thousands of feet deep. So. We could just say this has to be like a shallow area, which it kind of has to be. To be um, right next to the the it's shore, be yeah. near the show, near the shore. So I think we would want to say, and like, I don't think coral coral's usually somewhere where you can get sunlight still. So it can only I yes. think coral's typically where you're like hundreds of feet deep, yeah. most of the mm-hmm. time, right? Like the Great Barrier Reef is is you know like near the surface. Um, and so if we're dealing with like coral, coral stuff, we're probably only dealing with hundreds of feet deep Yeah. for this. Um, and we have to be really close to the shore because Flounder and Sebastian have yeah, to get carry, her to the shore. Cause she, later on, she doesn't know how to swim. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So all of this is happening relatively close to the shore, right? You can have, you can have, you know, areas where it drops off thousands of feet. And I do think that like Atlantica is probably thousands of feet deep. Right, that one's not hundreds of feet, but Ursula's layer could be closer to the surface. We could be dealing with just hundreds of feet. So, so maybe she's you know like less than four hundred feet away from the surface. Which I mean, like I can't imagine looking down four hundred feet into the ocean. Um, that's pretty far. Yeah, you're you're right about that. And while I was doing research, I decided to double check something, which is going to come up later, later, later. But flamingos, totally in the Caribbean. Oh. Which is useful for some of our our um, fauna evidence that this could be happening. Yes. Um, in the area of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Or of what is now the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. I, I dealt with my ocean depth stuff. You've got things about the palace, I have right? things about the palace. So a lot of these notes I have about the palace are coming from Disney Wiki um, or Disney Fandom. And I'll post this article in the Facebook in the Facebook page so everyone can see this too. But um, the person who mostly designed the palace is Roland Wilson. And he combined a lot of different 
southern Mediterranean elements. Back to the Mediterranean option. <laughs> um, to to create the palace. So it's kind of Danish-like. Um, and it's surrounded by mountainous regions. And we see we see lots of different hills, structures. Yeah. Uh, which also like takes place along cliffs near near the an ocean. A lot of oceanside places have a lot of different cliffs. Yeah, the palace has many plate glass windows, which were introduced um, and popular in the 17th century. Which would mean the 1600s. The 1600s. Okay. So this I would have had always struggle with like which it century is which hundred. Yes, yes. So this would have. Had to so be an, a, a bit of an older palace for it to be popular, but it could have been also built later on with just less popular. Well, and then when we talk about the, I know later when we talk about the dining room, we talk about similarities with like the the Crystal Palace in England, which yes. is which is a later on yes. thing, and so there's room for all of it. Yes, the beaches have, typically have Scandinavian beach similarities with with it. But it the the whatever that means. Yes, but however, the weather doesn't match up with Scandinavian. Mm, this seems pretty temperate. Yes, uh, so they're like grasses and hills and sand, um, and it was inspired by Chilling Castle in Switzerland and Tintagel Castle in Wales. I assume you post images of all those. Things. I I I most definitely will. All right. Do you have anything else? Oh yes, I have one more thing. The bridge on the castle with the, that the trees um, are on, and we talk yeah. about this a lot later. I don't know if like bridge is the right term, but yeah, there's a little. Yes, there's a little. There's a little bridge, and there's trees, out. and we talk about the trees a lot later on in the film. Um, but they're green at the end of this film, whereas now they have pink blossoms. I assume it's just uh, it's just blossoming season. Three and it's gonna, days, and it's going to. Be done blossoming in, in three, three days. days, or it's like time of day. Maybe when we're talking about it later on, it's like at night and the blossoms are all folded up. Mm, I don't know, maybe. Um, okay, but you're all set. Then? I'm all then. Then that's all we have for you today, listeners. We're part of Dueling Genre, and you can find us and many other podcasts at duelinggenre.com. There, you can also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all the Dueling Genre productions. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsel's Group. We want to thank Star Wars Minute for their role in bringing movies by minutes into popularity. And we also want to thank uh, Nick English and Scott Tofty for our cover art and for our theme music. And until next time, listeners, thank you for making us part of your world. <laughs>